Today is, uh, of course, Palm Sunday, as it is designated on the church calendar. And as we uh, think of that day, it, um, we think of it as a celebratory day 2,000 years ago, and so it was. We read in the Gospels of the great crowds. There was excitement, anticipation, shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus riding on the donkey down the Mount of Olives to the Golden Gate into Jerusalem, people casting their cloaks on the road as sort of a red carpet to welcome and celebrate the coming of the King, the Deliverer, and of course the waving of palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. Yet today on the church calendar, it is also called Passion Sunday. And that is because once the celebratory events of Palm Sunday came to an end, the events in the week that followed took a very strange and unexpected turn. Who would have imagined that just five days later, some of those who had been in the crowd on Palm Sunday were there outside Pilate's judgment hall, crying out at the top of their voice, not Hosanna this time, but crucify him, crucify him. If you were to judge the triumphal entry by human standards, the entry ended up being not triumphant at all, but a tragic failure, since it led to Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his death on the cross. But we know the whole story. And so we don't judge Palm Sunday by human standards, Passion Sunday by external human measuring stick. Because Palm Sunday really was a Sunday of triumph. Because it pointed ahead to a great victory just a handful of days away. A great victory, a great deliverance from sin and death and hell. A deliverance through cross and suffering. Who would have ever guessed that? A deliverance through Easter Sunday resurrection. And so Palm Sunday is indeed... A day of triumph. It launches the great victory march of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. But what I want you to see this morning with regard to Palm Sunday is that in addition to the Palm Sunday recorded in the Gospels, there are two other Palm Sundays in Scripture, if you will. Two other great victorious Palm Sundays described in the pages of the Bible. The first one is in the Old Testament. It is a celebration which originated in the time of Moses. It is the great Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, depending on your English translation. Uh, it is also sometimes called the Feast of Ingathering, and this festival is described in the book of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus. Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, was a great time of rejoicing. It still is today for the Jewish people who celebrate it. It takes place always in the fall, uh, always on our calendar, somewhere in September or October, uh, and it's a harvest festival. By the way, the pilgrims got the idea for the first Thanksgiving from Exodus and Leviticus, from the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it's a great fall harvest festival, 
Uh, the wheat has been gathered in. The grain harvest is completed. The grape harvest is completed successfully, and it's time to celebrate that all is safely gathered in, as the song says, ere the winter storms begin. And so a great time of celebration, praising God for his abundant provision and goodness for a tremendous growing season, for a good harvest, but remembering to praise him for his goodness in every area of life and for his provision. And so it was a celebration of ingathering, that's part of it, uh, but at the same time, and this is its origin, it was a festival set aside to celebrate deliverance to celebrate God's deliverance of the people from slavery, from bondage, to celebrate God's great work of salvation in bringing the people safely out of slavery, safely out of Egypt, bringing them into the wilderness where he provided for them for 40 years. There was the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the pillar of cloud and fire. God was with them throughout all that time. And then when Moses died on Mount Nebo, then Joshua in command took the people and brought them victoriously into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, or ingathering, not only celebrated the harvest being brought in, but it celebrated God's miraculous deliverance. His wonderful salvation. And so every year they celebrated God's mercies to their forefathers. And they celebrated his continuing protection and salvation and mercies for the current generation. I want to draw your attention just to two verses out of many in Exodus and Leviticus that talk about the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Ingathering. This one is from Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, verses 39 and 40. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And so we know from history in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, when the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated in Jerusalem, the Jews would gather in the vast temple courts. They would have palm branches with them, a symbol of joy, symbol of victory, and they would wave it as, uh, as celebration of the salvation which God had provided that he had delivered his people, he had brought them into the land of promise. And so it was a celebration, you notice a grand total if you count both the first and the last days, a celebration of eight days. Just as it is exactly eight days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, both of those Sundays included. Eight days for the one, eight days for the other. And so in, in several days, in several ways, Palm Sunday is, uh, is a wonderful precursor uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, I should say, is a wonderful precursor of uh, what is to come with Palm Sunday, that great uh, entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem described in the Gospels. Um, because what unfolded, starting with Palm Sunday, is salvation, deliverance, rescue, God bringing his people out of bondage and slavery, bringing them to a place of newness and freedom. And you think about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. That's the deliverance part. What about the ingathering part? Well, the Lord continues, he has, and he continues to gather in a great harvest of people. 
great harvest of souls from every tribe and tongue and people group and nation. Gathering together that because of the deliverance that has been won, there is a great ingathering. There is a great harvest. Starts with Pentecost where thousands were converted and in the years that followed, talk about a great ingathering based upon the deliverance that Palm Sunday inaugurated. But when you think about the Feast of Tabernacles, there's still a future element to it as well. Feast of Tabernacles points to the second coming of Christ. Second coming in, in all of his kingly glory and splendor and power. When there will be a final ingathering of God's people, where there will be a celebration of final victory. And all of this is described in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah chapter 14, where the prophet describes in those two chapters last day events in connection with the return of Christ. Those chapters describe, for example, nations gathering against Israel and Jerusalem to do battle. Revelation calls it the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Zechariah describes the total conversion of the Jews at one moment when they see the one whom they have pierced, and they, they realize all of a sudden, this was the Christ, the promised one of God, and the whole nation is converted as one. Paul speaks about that in Romans, all Israel shall in the end be saved, he says. And Zechariah describes the reign of Christ on earth, the millennium described in Revelation chapter 20. Let me just show you a couple of excerpts from Zechariah. From chapter 12, just this verse, describing the ingathering of the Jewish people. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. If we read the entire passage, there is a great national repentance as Jesus comes in glory, stands on the Mount of Olives. They realize he is the one spoken of throughout all of their scriptures and as one, they are broken in sorrow and repentance and they are converted as Christ returns. Well, then on to chapter 14. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, verse 2 says. That's Armageddon. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Verse 5. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him, coming in power and great glory with all of the holy angels on that day. Verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And then near the end of this entire section, verse 16, then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem, once Armageddon is over, those who remain, shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of booths. Talk about a harvest festival. During the millennial reign of Christ, Zechariah describes the Jews being gathered in as an entire people, describes the Gentiles being gathered in from all corners of the world, from every tribe and tongue and nation, gathered as one in Jerusalem, gathered around the one who was pierced, the one who was bruised for our iniquities, 
as Isaiah describes the death of Christ, gathered around the one who delivered them from sin and bondage, worshiping as one, celebrating as one, and because palm branches were essential to the Feast of Tabernacles, waving palm branches as one. That's Palm Sunday number one. Number two is the one in the Gospels, but there's one more. One final great Palm Sunday described in the Bible. When everything that the previous two foreshadowed, Feast of Tabernacles, the Palm Sunday of the Gospels, all of it reaches its final fulfillment in eternity. And for that, we turn to Revelation 7. It is a long section, but stick with me as I read a portion of it. After this, I looked, John sees a vision in heaven, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then continuing with verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a massive passage. All I can do is just briefly touch on just several elements of this great final Palm Sunday. And what I want you to notice is the significant difference between the Palm Sunday described in the Gospels and this Palm Sunday, if you will. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, what were the crowds shouting? We saw that in Psalm 118. We saw that in John's account of Palm Sunday. They're shouting out that great Hebrew word, Hosanna, which is translated as, save us now, rescue us. Deliver us. That's our earnest desire. That's our plea. That's our prayer. Notice in Revelation 7, again, a whole host of folks with palm branches, they're not crying out, Hosanna, are they? Instead, if I can paraphrase verse 10, they're saying, salvation has come. Salvation is ours. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What the people were crying for 2,000 years ago on the way into Jerusalem, the saints in heaven now with their palm branches say, it's been accomplished. We celebrate it. 
It's no longer a hope. It's no longer a prayer. It is a wonderful reality. And the God who accomplished their salvation, don't miss how it was accomplished. Notice in verse 14. Through the sacrificial blood of the Lamb. Through Christ himself. And so no wonder there is such joy. No wonder there is such worship and celebration. No wonder there is such shouting and the waving of palm branches on that final quote, Palm Sunday. The hymn writer captures Revelation 7 perfectly in this stanza when he writes, Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Something else I want you to notice about this final Palm Sunday, this deliverance. The saints in glory, you notice as they celebrate, they celebrate deliverance, don't they? But I want you to notice it's not the deliverance of escape, but the deliverance of conquest. It's not a deliverance which saves a person from trouble, but it is a deliverance which brings one triumphantly through trouble. That is always God's promise. You think of the 23rd Psalm, there's an allusion to the shepherd here, isn't there, at the end? Okay, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord rescues us, delivers us, not by saying you're not going through the valley, here's a detour around it. We go through the valley, but we come out victorious. He saves us through the valley. So we come out with victory on the other side. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you notice here at the very end of verse 17, God wipes all tears away from a person's eyes. In the context, it's speaking about the great tribulation. Those saints in the last days who will suffer immensely, will suffer persecution and martyrdom. But what is true for them, is it not true for all of us? That God brings us through whatever trials and tears and heartaches because as he brings us there, all these things that have so afflicted us in one way or another in life, there on that day, final victory, no more death, sorrow, crying, pain, all those things are gone and we wave the palm branches and say, salvation has come, praise and glory be unto God. And so it's a vast gathering that John describes here in Revelation 7. It's a global gathering. It's a, it's a gathering without number. It's a gathering without borders. It's a gathering without divisions. It's a gathering without partisan loyalties. I, I try to imagine this scene in Revelation 7. What will it be like? And what came to my mind was February of 1996, when uh, I was in, and I, I found out later, my brother Dave was there in Atlanta with me. I had no idea who he was among 40,000 of us. But we were in Atlanta, Georgia for the prom Pastor's Promise Keepers event. 40,000 clergy. The, the largest gathering of pastors in one place in the history of the Christian church to this day. And we were gathered there in the Georgia Dome. And we had some marvelous speakers. You can ask Pastor Dave about some of them. You can ask me about some of them. But I can't describe to you what it was like on the opening night. 40,000 clergy. The Maranatha Singers. The Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And we sang. 
I mean, you talk about a sound. It, it, it was one of the most overwhelming experiences I've ever had where pastors from every race, you had Indian pastors, American Indian pastors with their headdresses. I mean, it, it was an unbelievable experience. Every background, every race, a whole spectrum of denominations praising the Lord with symphony orchestra and professional singers and the rest of us singing as loudly as we possibly could. It was an amazing experience. And so I think, so what will the gathering around the throne be like? It's going to be way beyond what that was. And so use your sanctified imaginations. I a lot of times use that expression. As you think about these things, use your sanctified imaginations to try to picture what this might be like. So here's what came to my mind. Here you're going to have African Christians drumming and dancing. You're going to have medieval monks lifting their soaring chants of praise. You're going to have Baptists singing the old familiar gospel songs. You're going to have Lutherans praising God with the great hymns with pipe organs, the great chorales of the Reformation. You'll have Messianic Jews shouting, dancing the horror, klezmer bands everywhere. Maybe that's pushing it a little far, I don't know. But you think about what that scene will be like. What will it be like around the throne singing and praising God together? Hebrews 12 speaks about coming to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And there with an innumerable company of angels in festive gathering, Hebrews says, the church of the firstborn will gather, all of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that leads me to just one more very, very brief point about this final eternal Palm Sunday, namely that our worship will focus entirely on God. I want you to notice in verse 12, notice that there is a sevenfold ascription of praise to God. Seven is the number of perfection and completion. You notice, what does verse 12 say? Okay, saying amen, blessing, honor, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. There on that day, we will celebrate what God has done through Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain. We will celebrate His cross-won victory. We will celebrate His eternal glory. We will celebrate who he is. And of course, all of that should be reflected in our worship now, shouldn't it? And so when we come on a Sunday, we don't come for a variety program. When we come on a Sunday, we don't come to be entertained, we come to be edified. When we come on a Sunday, we don't come to focus on ourselves, but on the one who loves us and who gave himself freely for us. Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday. This is the start of the most significant week in the history of the universe. And so during this holy week, don't let it slip by you and be caught up with all kinds of the busyness of life. I challenge you to find profitable times for meditation and prayer, times of song, times of praise, times of solitude, times of quietness, whatever it might look like for you. And my prayer is that your thankfulness for the gift of salvation, for deliverance, 
might grow much richer. And my prayer is that your love for the Savior, the one who loved you first, of course, that your love for the Savior will grow deeper and more precious as this week unfolds, so that when we come on Easter Sunday, we're ready to sing at the top of our voices, Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, there is a day of final victory coming. was hinted at in the Old Testament with deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from bondage, salvation from their enemies. Pointed to at the cross on that Palm Sunday, looking ahead to that victory where Satan's head crushed, where the powers of darkness and sin and hell defeated, the glorious resurrection on the third day, and then finally when all of us are gathered together out of all the trials and tribulations of life over the thousands and thousands of years of human history, all of your saints gathered together with palm branches as one around the throne praising the Lamb who was slain who made it all possible. And so fill our hearts with exuberance, fill our hearts with joy as we celebrate your goodness to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.